Welcome to BSD Talk number 265. It's Tuesday, May 31st, 2016. So today's episode might be a short one, but it's one that I actually have wanted to do for a while. And I call it Sunset on BSD because I'm looking at Sun Microsystems Solaris 1.1.2 or SunOS uh, as it was called at the time. So essentially, in my office, I've had this cardboard box, this big one, from Sunsoft or Sun Microsystems, which has Solaris 1.1.2 or SunOS. And according to the interwebs, this is the last version of SunOS that was based off the BSD operating systems. So there's also a tremendous amount of, of naming confusion when it comes to the operating systems from Sun Microsystems, in the sense that um, it was originally called Sun OS, and then they sort of changed the name to Solaris, but they still call it Sun OS under the hood in various places. So um, I may accidentally or purposely, although I think it will mostly be accidentally, refer to them as Solaris versus Sun OS from time to time. So a little history. Um, basically, some folks from the BSD world started a company called Sun Microsystems with the intent of selling commercial versions of Unix. And their product was Sun OS. And the versions of Sun OS were version 1 all the way up to 4.14, which is what I have here in the box that were the BSD-related ones, or the ones that derived from BSD Unix. And Sun OS came out in 1983. And it lived all the way until 1994, when things switched over to Solaris, which we know today, which was then bought out by a large database vendor. And so Sun Microsystems as a company is, is now part of Oracle. Uh, they were basically, you know, when we say the sunset of BSD, there was a, I don't know if you want to call them the Unix wars or, or what it was, but there were sort of these two major flavors of Unix, which were System 5 and BSD. And if I sort of jump over here to uh, the Wikipedia Unix Wars page, um, they talk about, uh, although AT&T Corporation created Unix by the 1980s, the University of California Berkeley Computer Systems Research Group was the leading non-commercial Unix developer. And in the mid-1980s, the three common versions of Unix were AT&T System 3, the basis of Microsoft Xenix, and the IBM-endorsed PC-IX, among others, AT&T System 5, which it sought to establish as the new Unix standard, and the Berkeley software distribution. Now, they all, you know, I guess shared similar roots in AT&T, but as you know uh, from the history of BSD, a lot of that stuff was rewritten and became BSD Unix. They do reference a mid-1980s Usenix conference, where the AT&T staff had buttons that read System 5, considered it standard. And then um, the folks in the BSDs had posters that said 4.2 is greater than 5, the Roman numeral. 
probably uh, one of the things that was um, really going for the BSD Unix around like 4.2 was that it had TCP IP networking, which was the foundation of the internet. And so around 1987, there was an announcement from AT&T and Sun Microsystems that they were going to actually collaborate and merge BSD and System 5 and Xenix. And uh, the rest is, I guess, sort of history where System 5 primarily won out, although right now everything's sort of, I don't even know what you'd want to call it now. Everything's a big new thing. Uh, it wasn't until 1988 that uh, System 5 Release 4 had TCP IP in it. So uh, if you were on the internet in the early days, BSD was usually your best choice. And it was uh, 1992 that it officially became Solaris with all that System 5 stuff. So that uh, mishmash of history there, uh, who knows whether that was helpful or not, but that's sort of the, the history of what this box is. It is the last... Sun Microsystems BSD-based version of Unix. So what's what's in this box? And I think I'm actually missing something. So it's a big blue box. And on the front says Solaris 1.1.2 for Spark from Sunsoft. And on the back for product highlights, uh, welcome to Solaris 1.1.2. Includes both Sun OS 4.1.4 and bug fixes for open Windows version 3. And oh my gosh, I don't even want to go into the confusing history of what open windows is and the news and display postscript versus X11. But um, just as there was a lot of um, competing standards in the Unix world, the graphical environments also had a lot of competing standards. Uh, Either way, this was um, by this time designed for uh, up to uniprocessor, uniprocessor Spark Station 10 and Spark Station 20 series machines. Um, either way, lots of lovely stuff. And there's some pictures on the back displaying the lovely uh, graphical user interface that was uh, open windows. Inside, I've got this lovely CD. And it does say Spark, Solaris, copyright 1994, Sun Microsystems. And um, your traditional sort of warnings about trademarks for Unix and other stuff like that inside the CD jacket. This is kind of like an unboxing video without video, so forgive me if it's a little boring. Um, So just a quick, you know, installing Solaris 1.1.2 from CD, what you need to do, and a... um, the copyright on the inside of the jacket here is where you get some hints that there is some BSD because uh, under the copyright 1994 Sun Microsystems, the second paragraph basically says portions of this product may be derived from the Unix and Berkeley 4.3 BSD systems licensed from Unix System Laboratories, Inc. and the University of California, respectively, so on and so forth. So what do you do with one of these things? Well, you can crack open the other documentation, and there is a hefty manual in here. Remember when software came in boxes and you also got manuals? And I don't know how thick this thing is, because unfortunately things aren't numbered sequentially, but uh, I would say over 100 pages, this Solaris system installation manual. It's actually quite complex and goes over a variety of different scenarios for standalone workstations or diskless workstations and all kinds of other fun stuff that you won't do that much. Also, how to do upgrades without completely, or hopefully completely, breaking your system. One way to play with this would be to get yourself some old Sun workstations, uh, which 
I had a long time ago, but I don't anymore. Uh, one of my favorite was favorites was a Sun IPC box, tiny little things. And when I look at those new Intel NUX, next unit of computing devices, I'm like, oh, I want to take the innards of one of those and stuff it inside an old IPC. But one of the other things you can do if you want to play with Solaris is use QEMU, if that's how you pronounce it. And I actually found some reasonably good documentation on the internet. It's a Wikibooks website that basically gave the steps to do it. So what I did is I uh, took that same OpenBSD laptop that I used for my last podcast for looking at uh, Gover. This is not going to be a continuous theme of old stuff, but... um, And I installed just QEMU on that and followed the directions. Most of the difficulty I had would normally be solved in the real world by pressing the power switch. But to get QEMU to emulate all the right stuff, um, you have to download various things. And either way, um, I was able to, following those directions, to get this thing to boot up. And off I went. I haven't gone through the work of getting all the networking running properly because it would actually be fun to look at the graphical user interface, open Windows. But at this point, I thought, hey, I just wanted to run this ancient version of BSD Unix and see how familiar it felt. So here I am uh, on my little laptop on the command prompt. And you can tell that this is an operating system from a long gone era. To begin with, by default, you can log in as root with no password. So that's um, not something you'd often see today, although the installation manual does caution you to change that and set your password as one of the first things that you have when you uh, log in. The installation itself, gosh, uh, took a long time, probably an hour or two. A lot of it was just copying uh, things off of the installation CD onto the file system. The installation, the, I guess the SunOS installation program was a basic text-based installation program that you might expect from the time. And when you log in as root, you're just sort of dumped into the root file system, not forward slash R-O-O-T, but the actual forward slash root of the file system. And the file system layout will be familiar to anyone who's familiar with your general Unix. Uh, the kernel is called VM Unix. And uh, your typical boot, dev, etsy, export, home, lib, mount, bin. Uh, What I did find kind of interesting um, when I do a cd forward slash sbin, and I do an ls while I'm in there, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven binaries in forward slash sbin. So uh, that's, that's a little unusual. But then the other thing that you always have to do is go to cd forward slash usr, slash games, and when I do an ls in there, I feel like uh, I'm on a modern OpenBSD machine, because it's all those games, Adventure, Arithmetic, Backgammon, Banner, Battlestar, Boggle, uh, Canfield, Chess, Craps, Cribbage, Factor, Hack is on there, Trek, you know, sort of all those traditional Unix games going uh, way back to land, so it was nice that uh, <laughs> you could sort of see that stuff. Um, other sort of quirks as you were, you know, wandering around this thing. There is, uh, you know, the default shell is CSH. So um, there's a few things that I would normally be looking for, like um, history and uh, tab completion, but that's not there. But I'm sure that could be rectified. I know nothing about that shell. 
or at least that version of the shell. So, um, but other than that, I mean, not, not too unusual. A, another nice thing was going into the Etsy directory. You see your traditional sort of BSD simplicity with an RC, rc.boot and rc.local and rc.single, um, fairly simple startup run control files. So that, that was, uh, nice to see. Send mail is running. One other sign that this is a operating system from a gone by era. If I do net stat dash a, a, um, oh, sorry, can't use my up arrow when I make a typo. <laughs> that is a problem. Um, when I do a net stat dash a, the list goes on for pages. I mean, there's just so much listening by default. And if I go into the Etsy directory and I look at um, inetd, because inetd is running, and the inetd.com file, it's got FTP running, it's got telnet running, shell, login, exec, comsat, talk, um, UUCP is running, finger, echo, discard, daytime, all kinds. I mean, it just goes on and on. So this is something that uh, in today's world would get rooted pretty quickly. You know, if I do... Um, telnet localhost and log in and I do root and hey look I'm in so no password needed <laughs> how convenient but that's that's how it goes um, you know looking for signs of of the BSDs here one thing you do see um, is in various places there are um, sys5 libraries so, um, so if I go to user, I think it's user lib, uh, maybe not there, but either way, there, there's a couple different directories where, for example, there's two versions of grep on the system and there's the default, uh, version of grep. And if you do man grep, yay, man pages, not info pages, sorry, Linux. Um, even in the man pages, because this is a, a version of Sun OS that was starting that transition to system five you'll see that uh, the man page for grep talks about grep and then under the synopsis you'll see you'll see the system 5 synopsis so they've sort of started put them together um, and they say that the system 5 version of this command is available with the system 5 software installation option and i given that i installed everything all the system 5 stuff is here too so there are um, a variety of system 5 things littered all over the place i did a uh, strings on the kernel and repped for things like Berkeley or BSD or anything like that. I didn't see anything in the kernel code besides copyright uh, Sun Microsystems there. But there are a few places where there are uh, header files. For example, uh, fs.h for the file system, and that's where you find the copyright uh, Berkeley, California stuff. So it is BSD under the hood. Other than that, I mean, it runs. To a certain extent, this is yet another command line. Uh, another version of Unix with most of the traditional Unix stuff. It's not going to be fast running under emulation, not that I would really expect it to be, although I'm guessing that my emulated machine is much faster than the the, uh, Spark Station 5 that it's emulating, and it's got a lot of virtual memory. But, you know, it's working. There it is. Um, I guess I would say that I still feel relatively at home in it, in the sense that most of the commands that I'm used to typing are there. Um, the Etsy directory has got a pretty straightforward layout. And uh, I guess at this point, 
the only other thing that I really want to try and do on it is get the graphical user interface up and running. But QEMU won't emulate a VGA card for this thing, so you need to set up networking and then use uh, your host to um, essentially receive the graphical stuff. You know, do the display on the host rather on the the uh, guest. But other than that, that is my brief journey with this old operating system. It is uh, nice to see that even though Sun Microsystems abandoned uh, <laughs> their BSD path, we still have all the other BSDs out there that are continuing that tradition, and it's nice to see that um, it's still going strong. So. Until the next podcast, thank you for listening, and you can reach the archives at bsdtalk.blogspot.com, and if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com, that's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, this has been BSD Talk number 265.